Redfield Arts Audio presents The Midnight Matinee. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. I've got out at last. In spite of you and Jane. And I've pulled off all of the paper. All of the horrible, putrid wallpaper. Alfie. Oh, dear God, Alfie, come quick. What is it? Explain your wishes or complaints. For God's sake, quick, quick, put me to sleep. Oh, quick, waken me, quick. I say to you that I am dead. Is this your wish, Valdemar? For God's sake. Valdemar, listen to this. The Midnight Matinee on the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. When is the cure more terrible than the ailment? especially when one's husband is one's doctor. Our play on the midnight matinee is The Yellow Wallpaper, adapted from the 1892 short story by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. The Yellow Wallpaper stars Mara Nemanis as the wife, Mark Redfield as the husband, with Susan Stroop as Jenny and Chris Fingston as Robert. And now, the yellow wallpaper. It is seldom that ordinary people like John and myself secure ancestral halls for the summer, a colonial mansion once owned by a very old and respected family. I would say a haunted house and reach the height of romantic felicity, but that would be asking too much of fate. Still, I will proudly declare that there is something queer about it. Else, why would it be let so cheaply? And why have stood so long vacant? Well, John laughs at me, of course, but one expects that in marriage. John is practical in the extreme. He has no patience with faith, an intense horror of superstition, and he scoffs at talk of things not to be felt and seen and put down in figures. John is a physician. And 
Perhaps that is one reason I do not get well faster. You see, he doesn't believe I'm sick. And what can one do? If a doctor of high standing and one's own husband assures friends and relatives that there's nothing the matter with one but a temporary nervous depression, what is one to do? My brother is also a doctor, and also of high standing, and says the same thing. Letter to my brother-in-law. Dear John... I must address your questions concerning my sister. She is your wife, but she's been my sister longer, and at the risk of sounding presumptuous, think that you have little to worry about. In every case, the nervousness disappeared over a short period of time as the natural tendrils of motherhood matured and took hold. Sister has always been a bold and willful girl, even as a child. It has long been my wish that motherhood would settle her. I remain loving your brother-in-law, Robert. Robert, please excuse my abruptness and if what follows seems a bit harried, but I am at my wit's end. The situation has worsened. It is nearly the new year now, and I find that she cannot bear to be with our son at all. At first, I diagnosed her condition as nervous prostration. Before the baby, she so insisted on reading and writing so vigorously and pushed herself so that it made her sick with the unnaturalness of it. Of course, when she was at teacher's college, when we met, she amused me with her poetry and stories. I I never thought then that it would grow into such a debilitating obsession. I thought that the birth of our son would change her, but it seems to have aggravated the problem. She talks of nothing but her writing. Robert, as her brother and a fellow doctor, what am I to do? It breaks my heart to see her behaving in this fashion. I, I, I find nothing in the journals or medical books. I've begun by limiting her diet and have prescribed phosphates. Uh, Any and all suggestions for treatment, welcome. Sincerely, John. Please, please, dear, we have guests. Pull yourself together. I'm sorry for all the trouble I'm making. What's wrong? What's happened? Uh, Nothing. Don't be a child. One moment you're enjoying yourself, then in an instant this, and I don't know what excuse I made to Julia just now. I feel... What? I just feel... What, dear? Stop it, John. Please, stop it. I demand to know what's upset you. Now tell me. I went in to see the baby. Ah. To help Mary put down the baby for the evening. When... And I... Yes? I... I don't understand this. This this anger. This hate. What? What is it that you hate? I've always wanted to be a mother. I've always thought that. Knew that. But this feeling, this feeling frightens me. My darling little brain, always thinking, working like a miniature steam engine. Let's see the baby together. No, you don't understand me. If either of us has an understanding of the situation, it's me. Our guests, think of them. You must see the baby. No, I won't. I'll hurt him, John. I know it. John, I've had this nightmare more than once. I'm alone, completely alone in this house. I'm bathing the baby. Or, more accurately, have already finished bathing the baby. I pick him up and hold him in a blanket. In the room are all these cradles and prams, but no other babies. 
Isn't it odd? I think, where are all the other babies? And I dry our son, our baby, and as I dry him in the blanket, it... the blanket falls apart. It begins to shred in my fingers like wet paper, and then the baby falls. It always falls to the floor, and I do, believe me, I do. I try to snatch it up, but it falls to the floor and breaks. The baby shatters into hundreds of pieces, and they cry. All at once, the pieces are crying, and I try to hush them. I grab them up, hold them tight, tighter and tighter, and they still cry. I don't dare look at their eyes. Enormous bulging, staring eyes, forever staring, wanting. And I squeeze harder, but nothing I do helps. And they cry, and cry, and cry, and cry. My dearest John, in your last communication, you suggest an intellectual overstimulation. If one accepts that too much development of the brain atrophies the uterus, and that if a woman is to correctly fulfill the task of motherhood, she simply may not possess a masculine brain, then stronger steps must be taken. I enclose the latest results from Dr. Silas Weir Mitchell. On the face of it, his treatment would seem extreme. Six to eight weeks of intensive bed rest, complete seclusion, excessive feeding, massage, and electricity... I understand that he even catheterizes his patients so they don't have any reason to exit their beds. He seems to have had success. But perhaps it would be hasty to pack her off to Dr. Mitchell when her husband is a physician and could apply these methods himself? What do you think, John? Perhaps a country house you could rent for the summer. Thank you. Drink it down in one go. Now, are we agreed with regards to this summer? You mean my incarceration? <laughs> really? I said there's nothing to worry about. A temporary nervous prostration. A slight hysterical tendency. What will we tell our friends? The truth. That we're taking a summer house while this one's being repaired. Now, drink that down. I see. Drink. <sighs> Horrid stuff. Positively putrid. Must I drink this all summer? Now, our objective, total and complete rest, our result... Total and complete recovery. No more hysteria, no more melancholia. And the baby? Will he be coming with us? Yes, the baby must come with us. A and Mary? I've retained Mary's services to mid-September. Mary will continue to care for the baby. I've asked my sister Jenny to come down with us. Quite the marvel now that she's all of 23. She's really quite helpful. I've always liked Jenny. John. Hmm. You've been so kind to go to such trouble for me. Oh. <laughs> Please know that I'll really try. Good. I actually begin to look forward to my adventure. Then you misunderstand. You mustn't think of this as an adventure. Then my condition is serious. Yes. No, no, no. no. I meant a temporary depression, a slight tendency toward a But serious? No. I, I hardly consider you sick at all. Then I will get well, the way you want me. And this room shall be our room. Isn't this simply perfect for us? You see? Look. Look out that window. A lovely garden and a wonderful view of the bay. Beautiful, isn't it? Yes. I see. It is beautiful. But, John... Don't you agree, Jenny? <clears throat> oh, yes, brother. The whole estate <clears throat> is beautiful. And this room could not be more appropriate. Healthier for you up here at the top of the house with all the 
fresh air and sunshine. Was it perhaps a nursery or a playroom at one time? I don't know. I prefer the downstairs room that opens up in the piazza. Oh, yes, the one with the roses and those pretty old-fashioned chintz hanging. The very one. Darling, this room is positively horrid. Those bars on the windows and this paper. I don't think I could bear to look at this horrid wallpaper all summer. Three short months, darling. Jenny, you agree with me, don't you? Wouldn't that downstairs room be so much nicer? Have you ever seen such a putrid wallpaper in all your life? That paper is ghastly now that you mention it. Let us have no more of this nonsense. And these bars. Why are there bars on the window? I think it must have been a nursery or something for children. To keep them from falling out if they sleepwalk? Jenny, really. I don't know. And this tear here in the wall... Older children, some boys, I imagine, stayed here tearing at the paper the way rambunctious boys are wont to do. How else would you explain the awful condition of it? That's quite enough. I am sorry. I'm being silly, aren't I? There's my dove. We'll stay in this room. I had hoped to take a walk about the garden's grounds today to get myself accustomed to the place. You must not push yourself, darling. We've only just arrived. Are you tired from the journey? No, not in the least. I... I suppose I am. I'll fetch the rest of the bags. Jenny, you're so sweet to come and help oh. your brother John. <laughs> Happy to do it. Here are the last of the cases in the bags. This is a heavy one. Surely there must be better ways for a young woman to spend her summer. <laughs> what are these? They're books, John. I know they're books, darling. Perhaps I should say, why are they here? Have we not agreed that you shall not touch pen, pen brush, brush, book, or pencil for the duration? Yes. I only thought, what could be the harm of in a few silly books? Mm. I'm sorry, John. <clears throat> Women and economics, and the origin of the species, paradise lost. I'm going to take these with me and see, too, the rest of the house is put in order. I'll leave you and Jenny to finish up here. I'll have it feeling like home in no time. Is there something I might help no, to no, do? No, 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 dear, thank you. I'm here to take care of everything for you. John says, <clears throat> no exertions, complete rest. Once more, Jenny. Okay. Um, 8 a.m. breakfast, preferably in bed, occasionally at table, followed by tonic. 9 o'clock, half hour in the garden. No gardening, brisk walking, croquet, or other sport or exertion. 9.30, morning recreation, sewing, quilting, dressmaking permitted as long as the work is uncomplicated and undemanding. 11 o'clock, warm milk, noon, bouillon or beef soup, no tea We have been here two weeks. I haven't felt like writing before since the first day when I hid this journal in my dress. John is away all day, and even some nights when his cases are serious. I'm glad my case is not serious. But these nervous troubles are dreadfully depressing. I suppose John was never nervous a day in his life. John does not know how much I suffer. He knows there is no reason to suffer, and that satisfies him. It does weigh on me so to not 
do my duty in any way. I meant to be such a help to John, such a rest and comfort, and here I am a comparative burden already. Of course, it's only nervousness. Nobody could believe what an effort it is to do what little I'm able to dress and entertain. It is fortunate. Mary is so good with the baby. Such a dear baby. And yet, I cannot be with him. It makes me so nervous. I am sitting by the window up in this horrid nursery and there is nothing to hinder me from writing as much as I please save lack of strength. John does nothing about this atrocious room. How he laughs at me about this wallpaper. There is something queer about it. I never saw a worse paper in my life. One of those sprawling, flamboyant patterns committing every artistic sin. And when you follow the uncertain curves, they suddenly commit suicide. Plunge off at outrageous angles, destroy themselves in unheard of contradictions. The color is revolting. An unclean yellow. Jenny will be here soon. I must stop. If she were to tell John that I've been writing, I would be so... Good morning! Breakfast! What time is it? It's eight o'clock. John left an hour ago. I'm still very tired. It is ever so important that we continue to stick to John's schedule. He knows better than you and I what will make you strong again. Now, doesn't that look good? So much food. How can I possibly eat all of this? You must, dear. Oats. The box says they help make a person strong. Does John eat this? Oh, no, dear. John eats what he has always eaten. One boiled egg, a rasher of bacon and sausage. Is everything all right, dear? You look like you've seen a ghost. I'm fine. Jenny... Do you think my case could be more serious than John's oh, letting no, on? no, 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 no. John is completely honest, and if it were more serious, he would have sought more intensive care for you than just a rest in the country. He's told you about Dr. Mitchell? Yes, a little. John says, if I don't get better, he'll have to send me to Dr. Mitchell oh, in the no, fall. No, no, I just cannot help but think that there is something terribly very wrong with me. I have no desire to see my son. It makes me so nervous to be near him. I think I am not very good for him at all. You can't mean that. Such a perfect child. I do not mean it, and I feel like such a horrible wretch for saying so. But I have to tell someone. I really do not have the slightest idea how to be a mother. I think I'd be happier if I could write and create and work. And John would keep Mary on to look after the baby forever and ever. You're, you're tired. You haven't eaten. And, and Jenny, please. You and John are both satisfied that I will be just fine but I won't, I won't be fine. 
I hate this room. This dreadful room. I won't be able to stand it locked up in here. I know I won't. I'm so alone here. Jenny, please don't worry John about all this. He has enough to tend to. He needn't worry about me any more than he already does. Good afternoon, Jenny, and how is she today? The same as yesterday. Oh. And you? Quite well. Wonderful. And the boy? Oh, just dandy. Talks his little head off, or is oh. trying to. Mary says she expects the Gettysburg address any day now. <laughs> Remarkable. Johnny? Yes? Look at this. Maybe this will help. You liked my idea about the Quaker Oats. What is this? Uh, let me see. Dr. Evans Tonic mm -hmm. cures blood poverty. What the hell is blood poverty? You liked my other suggestion. Dr. Evans' elixir to ensure love and a happy home. <laughs> Cures vitamin deficiency, drug addiction, infertility, and blood poverty. Blood poverty. Well, I just thought... Really, Jenny, let's not have you playing doctor. The stuff's obviously a fraud. The fact that it's $2 a bottle ought to tell you something. You mustn't believe everything some con man, quack, or witch doctor wants to sell you. Trust yourself with professionals. All right, Johnny. Your concern is more than appreciated. Let me do the thinking. Right, Johnny. Now, Jenny, you don't refer to me in front of Mary or anybody else as uh, Johnny, do you? Why, no, Johnny. Why do you ask? Uh, no reason. The patient feeling disassociated with natural motherhood must affect the creation of the substitute child by her own devices and hers only. Best results are obtained when the patient constructs the substitute child from discarded clothing that was once her own, a favorite frock or gown, something the patient was once attached to or very fond of. Works well. A doll. A rag doll, I said. She must make it all by herself with your guidance, of course. But a doll. Once the doll is finished, she's to keep it with her at all times. You must understand, John, what Dr. Weir Mitchell has always understood. The patient is genuinely sick, but the root of the sickness lies in her failure to be a woman. What will it do, exactly, this doll? Help her. Get better. Well, yes, I mean, but what does it accomplish, exactly? <clears throat> Wise women choose their doctors and trust them. The wisest ask the fewest questions. I see. Um, drink your tea, John. It's getting cold. You may make a doll, too. It may make her feel less... Well, you may make one if you wish. The doll becomes, then, the agent of regeneration, the agent that will break the chokehold of self-contemplation. And when he, the need to think and care for others, has remanifested itself, the patient will show a marked improvement. Dorothy lived in the midst of the great Kansas prairies this with Uncle Henry, wallpaper. And, and, and looks at me as if it knew what a vicious influence it had. There is a recurrent spot where the pattern lolls like a broken neck and two bulbous eyes stare upside down. I get positively angry with the impertinence and the everlastingness of those absurd, unblinking eyes. Up and down and sideways they crawl. One a little higher than the other. 
It has a kind of sub-pattern and a different shade. A particularly irritating one, for you can see it in certain lights, and even then not clearly. But in the places where it isn't faded, where the sun is just so, I can see a strange, formless sort of figure that seems to skulk about behind that silly and conspicuous front design. Little cracks running through it. Uh, are you listening, dear? Yes, you read beautifully, John. I love <laughs> it when you read to me. <laughs> um, shall I continue? Uh, no, thank you. I really am quite tired now. I could sleep. Good. I'll send Jenny in. Good night. Good night, John. I love you. I know you're there. I know you don't want to come out when John is here. In the morning, in the daylight, will you come again, won't you? Independence Day has come and gone. I continued my prescribed daily regimen. And one midday after my walk in the garden was shortened by a summer storm, I returned to my room. What are you doing? I, I, I was just looking at this wallpaper in this room. You know, it stains everything that touches it. I found yellow smudges on all of your clothes. It's horrid. I didn't like it when I first saw it, and I hate it now. It has a peculiar odor, too. The entire house smells like it. Have you noticed? No, I haven't. Surely you must have. Smell. Isn't that horrid? It creeps all over the house. I didn't notice the odor at first, but this fog and rain we've had all week brings it out. Makes it worse. Look... Here, now, that's just what I was saying about getting it on your clothes. Stop rubbing it that way. Oh. oh, it's worse than tobacco stains. Here, let me wipe your hands. Shall we complete our dolls today? I don't know. Whatever you think is best. We need to finish the eyes yet. I know. We should make them the same color as your baby's eyes. Do you like that idea? Fine. What color? What do you mean? What color are his eyes. Whose? My son's. Why? Uh, They're blue. Then I'll make them blue. It's not that I don't love him. I love him so much that I don't mind staying in this room anymore. What? At first I hated this room. I thought about burning the house down to get away from it. Burning it right to the ground. And then I realized, I can stand this room so much better than the child. I could never stand it in here. He could never stand it in here. Do you think? What do you mean? Why, if John and I had not taken this room, our son would have. The blessed little child. I wouldn't have a child of mine, an impressionable little thing, live in such a room. 
for worlds. Dear, what's wrong with this room? Jenny, you said it gets into everything. It's everywhere. You don't know. Because you are not marooned in here for hours on end like I am. Do you think this would be a good material for the dress, my doll's dress? Or or this? Would this make a better dress? Good, then we'll start on my dress if you want to finish your eyes. Your needlework is getting so much better. Jenny is very queer lately. Sometimes... I think this wallpaper is affecting her and John both. There are things in this paper that they will never know. It's like a bad dream. This room, this paper. By daylight, the woman behind the pattern is subdued, quiet. I believe it is that pattern that keeps her so still, keeps me still by the hour. Well, the 4th of July is over. Of course, I didn't do a thing. Jenny continues to see to everything. I'm getting dreadfully fretful. I cry at nothing, and most of the time. Of course, I don't when John is here, or anybody else anymore. I lie down ever so much now. John says it's good for me and to sleep all I can. Indeed, he started the habit of making me lie down an hour after each meal. It is a very bad habit, I'm convinced, for I don't tell them I'm awake. Oh, no. The fact is, I'm getting a little afraid of John. I really have discovered something at last. By watching so much at night, I have finally found out the front pattern does move. And no wonder she moves it. The woman behind it moves it. At first I thought there was a great many women, but now only one. She crawls around so fast, and it's her crawling that shakes it all over. It's the very bright spots where she keeps still. But behind the shady spots, the parts that are dark and have bars on them, that is where she just takes hold and shakes hard. And all the time trying to crawl through. But nobody could crawl through that pattern. It strangles so. And that is why there are so many heads. There are other women. They get through. And then the pattern strangles them off and turns them upside down and makes their eyes bulge white. If those heads were covered, it would not be so half bad. They don't know. They haven't seen how much she struggles to get out. I haven't got very much time left here to help her. We leave in two short weeks. That's it, that's it. You pull. I'll shake. I'll shake you pull. I will get you out from behind this horrid pattern. If only the top pattern could be cotton off. Little by little, 
I have found out another funny thing. But I shan't tell this time. It does not do to trust people too much. Oh, how lovely. You and your baby doll looking at the garden. Isn't it time for your after-lunch nap? I did lie down for a bit. The wine doesn't make you sleepy. It always makes me sleepy. Do you think John believes I'm getting better? Please. He asked me weeks ago not to discuss these things with you. Says it makes the patient worry more. Patient? Well, John's so often away these days. So many serious cases. He hardly has moments rest, but he's strong. It runs in our family. Why, Papa, our father, has never been sick a day in his life. Of course, I get sick a lot. Nothing too serious. I know. All healthy stock our family. You aren't real. But sometimes... You are real. Like the familiar wink of the bureau knobs and that kindly old rocker at home that has always been like a good friend. I'll pull you, shake. I'll shake you, pull. I've seen you. Out of every one of my windows, I've seen you on the long road under the trees, creeping along and hiding when someone comes. It must be humiliating to be caught creeping by daylight. I always lock the door myself. I can't do it at night. John would suspect something at once. But I have seen you. Sometimes away, off in the open country, creeping as a cloud shadow in a high wind. How does she seem to you, Jenny? She seems much better than she did recently, much more agreeable. Yet sometimes I think she behaves very strangely. See, here, she has torn the paper off the wall in this place. Has she said anything about this? Well, she did tell me once she thinks it has a peculiar odor about it. You know she detested it from the first day. Is she eating any better? Yes. Good. Oh, making that doll has done wonderful things for her. She often brings it on our walks. She does seem more content. We could never have done it without you, my (laughs) wife and I. We we both thank you. I'm so very proud of you. I have truly enjoyed spending the summer with you and your family. My big brother, the doctor, and a marvelous one, too. Hooray! This is the last day, but it's enough. I'm going to get you out tonight. I have a rope that Jenny left from packing the trunk, so you mustn't run away or I'll tie you if you try to escape. I don't want you to go back out to the lane with the others. John had to stay in town overnight. Jenny wanted to sleep in here, the sly thing. But I know what she's up to. I heard Jenny tell John all sorts of things about me. They both act so peculiar. I don't like the look in John's eye. But I declare I'll have this off and finished today. Well, I've come to move the last of your things downstairs. I hope John doesn't mind the two of you sleeping down there. We must clear out this room. John is coming home tonight? Oh, yes, he has his heart set on it. 
How early? What time will he be here? I don't know exactly, but you'll need plenty of rest today. I'll be back soon. What's that? Lying on the floor there. Oh, Jenny has dropped the key to the room. Must remind her, lest she forgot and think that she's lost the key. Must... The key... I know. I'll throw you out the window. Ah, look. Look at all those women creeping about out there. Oh, I have never seen so many. I will have to be sure to secure her when we get her out from behind the paper. I've got to work fast to get you out. John could come home at any time. This paper is so stifling. It sticks so closely to this wall. I hope I can rescue you. How will we ever get the paper from behind this horrible bed? Oh, it sticks horribly. And the pattern just enjoys it. All those strangled heads and bulbous eyes and waddling fungus growths just shriek with derision. I am getting so angry. I could jump out of the window if the work for the bar is so far apart and small. Can't reach far enough to get help. You are not helping. I enjoy this room now that it's bare. No one touches this paper but me. Does call and pound. Would be a shame to break down that beautiful door. Open this door at once. I can't. The key is under the front steps under a plantain leaf. Open the door. Jenny, yeah, where is your key? I don't know. I'll break it down. You have been listening to The Midnight Matinee. Our production, The Yellow Wallpaper. Adapted and directed by Mark Redfield from the short story by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. The Yellow Wallpaper starred Mara Nemanis as Jane, Mark Redfield as John, 
Susan Stroop as Jenny, and Chris Fingston as Robert. Sound design by David Crandall. Our audio engineer, Bill Dixon. Recorded before a live audience, Foley was by Mike Moran and Rebecca Eastman. Original music and arrangements by Jennifer Rouse. Now available on Audible and everywhere great audiobooks and audio dramas are sold. Redfield Arts Audio. Redfield Arts Audio presents Mark Wheatley's Frankenstein Mobster. The most amazing story of crime ever told. Starring Daniel Roebuck. You, Twitch Randall, and Hyde. He did it right here. You murdered me. Debbie Rashawn. My name is Terry Todd, Detective Terry Todd. My father was a good man, a good cop. And Mark Redfield. Quiet, Smiley. We don't sell talismans in the dead end, no matter what they'll pay. You don't want any monsters to reap talisman benefits, now do we, son? Monstro City, where monsters live and mobsters rule. Gentlemen, what you see before you, this sleeping giant swathed in bandages that I have named Frankie, what your eyes see are four dead men. What the hell? A mad scientist created a better mobster, the Frankenstein mobster. Adapted from the graphic novel written and illustrated by Mark Wheatley. Get down, Yasmini. They can't still shooting at us. I, I can't see. Who, who is that hanging out the cop car window? One of him. And better than 20 oh. of us. It seems I'm neither a monster or monster. Stop! He helped Jerry! See this? Is that what I think it is? Talisman? I didn't get you one. I got sauces. Well, they're illegal. They... It's a good luck charm. And the illegal good luck charm. Cars. How the hell did you get tipped off about this? Are you okay? I think so. Can you run? I think so. Run! Original music score and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Adapted, written, and directed by Mark Redfield. Redfield Arts Audio presents The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde Performed by Mark Redfield with Mackenzie Mentor When Mr. Hiram B. Otis, the American minister, bought Canterville Chase, everyone told him he was doing a very foolish thing as there was no doubt at all that the place was haunted. Indeed, Lord Canterville himself, who was a man of the most punctilious honor, had felt it was his duty to mention the fact to Mr. Otis when they came to discuss terms. We have not cared to live in the place ourselves, said Lord Canterville. 
since my grand-aunt, the dowager Duchess of Bolton, was frightened into a fit from which she never really recovered. By two skeleton hands being placed on her shoulders as she was dressing for dinner. And I feel bound to tell you, Mr. Otis, that the ghost has been seen by several living members of my family, as well as by the rector of the parish, the Reverend Augustus Dampierre, who is a fellow of King's College, Cambridge. After the unfortunate accident of the Duchess, none of our younger servants would stay with us, and Lady Canterville often got very little sleep at night in consequence of the mysterious noises that came from the corridor and the library. My lord, answered the minister, I will take the furniture and the ghost at evaluation. I have come from a very modern country, and we have everything that money can buy. And with all of our spry young fellows painting the old world red and carrying off your best actors and prima donnas, I reckon that if there was such a thing as a ghost in Europe, we'd have it at home in a very short time in one of our public museums or on the road as a show. I fear that the ghost exists, said Lord Canterville, smiling, though it may have resisted the overtures of your enterprising impresarios. It has been well known for three centuries, since 1584, in fact, and always makes its appearance before the death of any member of our family. Well, so does the family doctor, for that matter, Lord Canterville. But there is no such thing, sir, as a ghost. And I guess the laws of nature are not going to be suspended for the British aristocracy. You are certainly very natural in America, answered Lord Canterville, who did not quite understand Mr. Otis's Last observation. And if you don't mind a ghost in the house, it is all right. Only you must remember, I warned you. A few I'm so after, sorry for you, she said. But my brothers are going back to Eton tomorrow. And then if you behave yourself, no one will annoy you. It is absurd asking me to behave myself. He answered, looking round in astonishment at the pretty little girl who had ventured to address him. Quite absurd. I must rattle my chains and groan through keyholes and walk about at night, if that is what you mean. It is my only reason for existing. It is no reason at all for existing. And you know, you have been very wicked. Mrs. Umney told us the first day we arrived here that you had killed your wife. Well, I quite admit it, said the ghost petulantly. But it was a purely family matter, concerned no one else. It is very wrong to kill anyone, said Virginia, who at times had a sweet Puritan gravity caught from some old New England ancestor. Oh, I hate the cheap severity of abstract ethics. My wife was very plain. Never had my ruffs properly starched and knew nothing about cookery. Why, there was a buck I had shot in Ogley Woods, a magnificent pricket, and you know how she had it sent up to the table? 
However, it is no matter now, for it is all over. Available worldwide on Audible.